What's going on, everybody? This is Brandon Rust, and you are listening to Growing with My Fellow Growers with myself and the rest of the panel members. Um, just start off and go down the line to enter into, into the introductions. Um, I'm just going to go down the list as I see it on my screen. So, Jack, want to introduce yourself? Yeah, so I am at Jack Greenstock on Instagram as well as Cannabuzz. You can find me on Twitter at Jack underscore Greenstock, and I host the podcast Greenstock Talks. Thanks for having me. All right, Can Can Grow. Hey, what's up? Yeah, it's Can Can Grow here. Glad to be uh, part of the panel once again and uh, excited to chat it up. And looks like we got a special guest too. So that's cool. Yeah, it's always good to uh, have all the panel members present and have guests. I always enjoy being here. It's a lot of fun. Spartan. What's up, guys? I'm Spartan Grow, and you can find me on Instagram, man. You can find me Instagram for my home grow. You look at look me up at Spartan Grow, and for my grow at work, you can look me up at Mitten Cannon Co. here in Michigan for the commercial grow. Otherwise, you can find me all over YouTube, man. You can find me right here with Growing My Fellow Growers. You can find me at Michigan Bros Grow Show. You can find me at GML Show on Friday nights, and um, sometimes the Talking Shit with Eagle Show. I can't, I, I keep adding all these shows and I'm going to miss somebody. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's a new one too. Matthew Gates, our resident IPM specialist. Yeah. Well, hello there, Hota. I'm looking forward to uh, our conversation this session. For those who don't know, I'm Matthew Gates. I'm an IPM specialist and I make a lot of content related to pest control and agriculture and Cannabis has been a big part of that. So if you're interested, you can find my content on YouTube channel Xenthanol, the same channel I'm commenting with, and be sure to use the live chat um, in the comments, and uh, also on Instagram at SyncAngel. All right, and next up on the list is our special guest for the night, uh, Ota Herb. How are you doing tonight, man? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, that's at Hota Herb, J-O-T-A-H-E-R-B on Instagram and on Twitter. Although I'm not on Twitter all that much, Instagram is definitely the place to find me. Uh, I do a lot of, I do a monthly grow and tell. I do a lot of community events and uh, just a home grower who likes to mix it up with, uh, with people online talking about growing all the time. So happy to be here. Really excited. Awesome. Well, we appreciate you coming on. Uh, next, we have Predicative Breeding. Hey, Brandon. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, my name is Kyle Breeder. I'm a cannabis breeder. If anybody's looking for good genetics uh, that are more resistive towards, uh, towards hermaphrodism, feel free to check out pbreeding.com, the letter P. Reading.com. I'm just really happy to be here and uh, hopefully we can sh uh, shovel out some content so these people can learn some stuff. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming. Next, we have uh, Dr. MJ Coco from Coco for Cannabis. Uh, hey, Brandon. Looking forward to the show today. I'm Dr. MJ Coco from Coco for Cannabis. Um, we got our spring autoflower challenge underway and it's fun to see all the little sprouts coming up this week. Um, so come on over to our forum and, and check that out at CocoForCannabis.com. Awesome. And last but not least, we have the American one. How's it going, my friend? Hello, Brandon and panel and everyone in chat. It's good to be here. Um, I'm the American one on IG and YouTube. 
Well, actually, on IG, it's a little longer. But if you search for the American one and find a little guy with the American top hat, that's me. And um, I'm glad to be here. Well, again, we appreciate you being here. Um, lastly, myself, I'm Brandon Rust. You can find uh, I, I'm a cultivation director for Majestic Craft Cannabis here in Oklahoma. And I also um, own Bokashi Earthworks. And you can find my profile, my personal page on Instagram at rust.brandon and you can find links for both of the previously mentioned in the bio. So um, I just wanted to get into it today. I wanted to kind of start off and just talk about community because I've, you know, that's one of the things that's always been really important to, to myself um, is, you know, working with other people that have the same similar interests and passion um, and, I, and I believe that by building communities similar to what we have going on right here, we can help educate and we can help build our, uh, you know, build our networking connections with, with other people that have similar interests, just so that way we can become not just better growers, but we have uh, more access to information and different methodologies and we can, you know, share our flower and you know, or, and it's just, it's one of the things that's really important to me. Um, what do you think, Jack? I mean, I, I've long been a big advocate of just building the community. I talked the last episode a little bit about why I believe people should give out and share genetics, whether it's clones of your best stuff or whether it's just like seeds or, or whatever. I think growing the community is one of the best things that we can do. And we're actively doing it right now by uh, engaging people to listen in and learn and educate about how to grow the plant the best that they can. And the more high quality cannabis that's grown in homes, the more people realize, oh shit, like my buddy can do that. That's just my buddy or my brother or my cousin or my kid, you know, we're all just human beings on this panel. We're not superhuman. We may have put a lot of research and effort and gotten good equipment and things like that, but the community has helped all of us. I would venture to bet because no one here is like, just like close their eyes, put their head down and like learn how to grow the best shit possible. Like the quick, quickest way to get to it is to have a community like this sort of eagle likes to call it the mastermind circle on fucking talking shit with eagle and i feel like that's why i'm so motivated to come to this every week is it's not just about me sharing knowledge i love to learn in public like scotty real on dude grows always says it's like we're all learning together and if i was to just close my doors shut off the internet and try and do this myself like my plants wouldn't look as good as they do now and they're going to continue to look better because i'm learning each week from all of you yeah i definitely think being on here has uh has helped myself personally. I think I might, I might, I, I could probably speak for everybody on the panel. Um, I just feel that having, uh, just being able to do this, right. Talk about this with other people uh, that have different, you know, skill sets and different points of view and different growth styles. It, it offers just a diversity, which is, you know, the fruit of life. Like I have an interesting perspective on on, on, the, on it myself is like, I kind of look at it here in Michigan. I don't know if it's just a Michigan thing or maybe it's, it's industry wide, but I can 100% tell the facilities that have gone up that are being run by ex-caregivers or um, just gorilla growers back in the day, as opposed to uh, like a big, big money, big business coming in and running a, a corporation style grow um and i think what you're talking about brandon like to leverage your circle or or to or to um like operate in a community rather than by yourself 
the caregiver grown like you know Mincanico is that way um we're we're still in that caregiver mindset of we have to band together against the big guys to try to figure this stuff out kind of a deal so we've held those connections and we're still um actively cultivating those connections whereas in the in the corporate scene it's more all about the dollar all about that and they're kind of close themselves off it's almost isolationists you know what i'm saying and, and they don't want to give anything out they don't want to give out any information but they don't realize that if you give out information you get information in return so by closing up the doors and, and trying to isolate yourself you can really hurt yourself in a way too yeah i like what you said about kind of you know, elevating your, your circle of people, like, you know, cause I come from a place where I have a lot of people who are still operating in the traditional market. And they have been for years simply because, uh, you know, the state that they operate in licensing is, is just too expensive and taxes are too expensive and it's just a, a complete mess. But I mean, if you build those kinds of connections and like, like for me, and I, I will probably pr- keep progressing and what I'm doing and I might have an opportunity to be able to get those people into a legal capacity you know what I mean like I think that's that's good and then building those associations too around you like with people that are shop owners and stuff that understand like where you come from because they come from the same place you have to build those so that way when the guys that come in with dirt weed at cheap like you said the corporate guys those those people will be like no we don't want we ain't messing with you guys because we have our people you know what I mean? And our customers like what our people offer because they care about the plant. Yeah. For example, like for, uh, I got a perfect example for you. It happened to us early on where one of the uh, big provisioning centers, or I guess you guys would call them dispensaries out there in Ann Arbor. Uh, we made a relationship with them early on. And when the price went crazy high because we had low supply, we didn't gouge those guys when we a hundred percent could. But we told them, look, we made a relationship with you guys. This is what you've been giving us. Keep it at that price, and that's good enough for us. And uh, when it went the other way, so so when, once once supply starts catching up and the prices start tanking, we're hoping that that's going to pay off, and they're going to honor that price with us to until uh, you know we can figure it out at that point. But uh, so far, uh, we've had super good relationship with. Uh, Actually, a couple different dispensaries, but really the, the one in Ann Arbor um, really has paid off for us. I have to agree that ultimately that horizontal sort of integration is super important at like the grassroots level and even at a higher level. And I'm very much looking forward to the next two to three decades, which is a long time, but it'll be very interesting to see how that kind of moves forward. Um, I think there's a lot of potential for well, for a lot of cool things happening that uh, might only be possible because of all the technology and development that we've had up to this point, both with plants in general and also in the cannabis community specifically. How has the uh, community influenced you? I see that you've got a pretty solid following on Instagram. (laughs) Yeah, well, community is actually what I've been all about for the last two years here in Massachusetts as legalizations come online. Uh, community's been everything to me, especially as a small home grower. Uh, just having other people that I can talk to uh, who are local, who I can just hang out with and share with and discuss. 
uh, that's kind of what the events I do, the monthly events I do, the Grow and Tales are. They're really just 30 local growers getting together and exchanging information, sniffing each other's jars, smoking each other's weed, talking about what's going on. The, the, the community has really been everything to me uh, as somebody who's almost 50 years old and spent, you know, 35 years in mostly in isolation. Um, you know, even as a smoker, I only knew two or three other people who smoked that I would even admit that I smoked to uh, coming from, you know, the, the IT industry where I worked for 20 or so years. So the stigma and everything else associated to it, I couldn't, you know, come out of the closet. I couldn't have friends. I couldn't have other people who shared this thing with me until it went legal and we started building communities. So it's really been everything for me. It's really changed my life uh, these last two years. And uh, yeah, the following and, and being on here with you folks, right? I mean, I wouldn't have heard of any of these people on here at all if it hadn't been for the community. How great of a feeling was it that first day after it legalized when you're like, all right, now I can put my face out there and everything else. It wasn't that such a, for me anyways, in, in Michigan, when we went legal, it was such a freeing yeah. feeling. It was just like, it, oh, it, I it can took walk a while. Yeah. Yeah. It, it took a while. I mean, I, I, you know, I come from that old school background, you know, I grew in the early nineties where you didn't even take, you didn't take any pictures cause they would bust you for getting your photos developed. Right. Um, I have one Polaroid from back in the day and it's barely even, it's like the side and you can see kind of some plants behind some guys, you know, but like we didn't do that. And so it took me a good six months um, before I even joined the Instagram, before I even posted my first picture. And it took, um, you know, going to the grow store and hanging out and talking to other growers to convince me to even do that. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely a different, it's a completely different way of life. Um, yeah, I never would have thought of posting a pic or, or doing any of these things in 1991 in Tampa, Florida. Fuck no. But imagine like, you know, the next generation of grower won't even know that feeling, you know? Oh, yeah. what I mean? So it, I don't know. For me, it was just like, it made me appreciate the freedom more because I didn't have it before kind of a thing. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. To just, to know that I'm legal, I keep my plant counts within range. So I know I'm legal and that has made growing therapeutic. Once you remove the stress and all of those pieces of it, it actually becomes therapeutic and beautiful. So um, it's, it's a completely different uh, experience. That's a really okay. great point. I never thought about that, taking the stress factor out of, of the illegal, illegality of it. Yep. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's a great point. That, that really makes the, the, the beneficial, uh, you can just sit there and relax. Helicopters flying over doesn't freak you the hell out anymore. You know, so it's like you can actually be like, oh, I've got plants. The helicopter's flying over. They're not looking for me because I'm doing things within my guidelines and they're not coming to take it. So the therapeutic thing, I totally agree. Yeah. Okay. A cop drove down the street. Okay. Great. Yeah. You want to see what I'm growing? Here, sniff this. Yeah, that's true. It just replaced. It's just replaced by the other anxieties of regular cultivation. Too much, too little water pests for particular in my in my in my experience are still a huge problem whether you're legal or not but it's such a great it's such a multiplying factor that's been removed uh, at least for a lot of people anyways 
Yeah. I, I definitely I feel that. I don't want to downplay safety either. You know, safety is still an issue and is always an issue. Everybody should be safe in their gardens and safe about the way they care for their gardens and what they talk about and what they show. And, you know, you shouldn't be publishing your address because you don't want people coming over. But it's uh, it's definitely a lot less stressful. Uh, definitely. I'm just on the important <laughs> thing. Yeah, it is still a high value cash crop even uh, in legal areas because you can ship it to places where red states, the value is much, much higher. So people do still want to steal and do nefarious things. One thing I wanted to say on the positive side was I saw on your profile, you talked a little bit about KNF and regenerative practices. And those are two words that don't mesh with the words grow store in my uh, (laughs) experience. So I heard you talking about talking to growers at the grow store and some grow stores are great and have lots of organic inputs. um, But when or did you ever grow with other inputs like oh, salt based and yes. what what transitioned um, you to getting over to the knf uh so i was introduced to the regenerate organic cannabis conference in maine last year um which completely changed my direction altogether um i had never heard of chris trump before that i had never learned of the food soil web before that soil food web got to get those words in the right order Um, but i got to see dr elaine ingram speak i got to see and talk with uh suzanne wainwright the bug lady and chris trump and light morrison and joshua rutherford and all these people and and be part of that community for a weekend and it blew my mind uh absolutely blew my mind up till then i had primarily been a synthetic grower when i started growing in the 90s i was a hydro you know ebb and flow flood tubs uh, when we just had A and B, there was no choices on the shelves, right? It was just A and B. There was a blue one and a yellow one, and you mixed them, and you ran with with some Epsom salts. That was pretty much how you did uh, hydro in the 90s. And um, I, it's just been a slow progression. I tried cocoa. I tried six different nutrient lines over a year, and I ran them full cycle. Um, I tried soil. I tried cocoa. I tried all of these different things. But um, the regenerative stuff just kind of clicked for me. And then I went and I actually, I spent five days uh, learning from Chris Trump. I went to one of his classes uh, in Connecticut and did the hands-on class, learning all of those things. And I still occasionally go to the grocery store, right? Because there's lighting and timers and tents. And although those things aren't necessarily regenerative, you still need them when you grow indoors. Um, I still buy, I can buy rice holes. Uh, Organic mechanic sells rice holes. Uh, so you can buy some things, but I have actually been on them. Uh, I'm like, you guys need to have worm bins. You guys need to carry brown rice vinegar. Uh, you should be carrying more Bakashi stuff, right? Um, there's no reason why you can't influence your local grow stores to start moving towards something that's going to be used more and more by the community as this thing becomes more popular. What am I hearing? Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Matthew. One of my favorite aspects of that, since you mentioned uh, Suzanne and with biocontrols and that sort of a thing, is uh, like information with regards to like ecology and like mm-hmm. banker plant system and yes. like, you know, that kind of stuff. I love that like the last like five years or so, a lot of that re- five or 10, I would say a lot of really great research that kind of melds ecology and microbiology and entomology and phytopathology and all those sorts of things kind of together. Um, I'm, I'm super, super uh, motivated to, to be reading about that stuff and then kind of synthesizing it and implementing it 
in IPM. And I think that will greatly help us moving forward, those who are passionate, like the Absolutely. community that we're talking about. It's so yep. motivating to hear people talk about it like you are. Yep. Um, I've actually been on the search for purple, purple flash peppers because okay. they're a perfect banker plant for Aureus. That's um, right. Um, you I know actually who has those is uh, Chase Science on Instagram. Chase Science. All right, I'm writing that Chase down. Chase Science. <laughs> yeah. DM yeah. Later, I'm, actually, I'm actually <laughs> with um, the Cannabis Horticultural Association, Cha Science. Um, and we are, there's a research report that uh, actually I made a video about this on Zentanol, but um, it talked about using predatory mites, but also aureus in um, in a banker plant system to keep them in your population for a, a very long time. And it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's interesting though, because you can't use any kind of pollen because some pollen is toxic. Um, and it's interesting to consider how we can use like ornamental peppers, purple flash being one of them. Right. Uh, or exploding ember, which is also a really big one. In the research report, exploding ember was the uh, really impressive one. It had like 1,200 Swirskii maintained on one plant. Wow. And because they had so many flowers, and because it's ornamental, it right. does fruit, but it's the flowers that you want. So they last longer, which is great. And because they make more flower buds, or they've been cultivated to do so, it's kind of cool how something that was meant for ornamental capabilities uh, is now being retrofitted and reutilized for biocontrol. I think yep. that's amazing. And I remember, you know, last year, Matt, you had told me about the research paper and I was like, well, I'm going to do this. And I went and just bought some poinsettia peppers, which are uh, basically an ornamental pepper. And it worked great. I got video footage with dino light of Swarovski eyes feeding on the pollen and they were able to maintain those populations. So it, it works you know and if that's something that's something that i uh, may possibly introduce into the facility that i um that i run because i'm a, i almost have everything set up to where i can get a dem pure certification i just have to close six loops uh which basically means i have to have you know things like water reclamation in yep. place uh like i can collect water from the runoff from acs and dehues i can catch that and reuse it that's all good water um i can do things like the, doing the no-till system is a loop uh doing banker plants yep. for biocontrols that that closes a loop um, so there's all these different things that is required if you're an indoor facility but they do have that certification and you know yep. i think I think that it's, it's uh, definitely harder for indoors to get the Dem Pure certification because of the lighting. Um, I know talking with my friend Grape Grows, who was one of the first indoor facilities to actually get that Dem Pure certification. Uh, that's part of the problem. Some states don't allow you to use things like reclaimed runoff water from like the roof of your facility and stuff like that, too. So it kind of depends on uh, some of the state laws for some of that stuff. Yeah. If you need any help with the implementation of that, though, Brendan, I'm super happy to help out. Um, I'm glad to hear that more and more people are doing it, and I hope it's successful for you. Yeah. You know, also, I, I think that, um, you know, there's always been like a mis I think there's a huge misconception um, about like scaling organics. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's totally possible. Uh, and I'm just trying to show people, hey, this is. Like, that's what I'm trying to do. Like, hey, look, 
you can do biodynamics. Uh, you can do it probably cheaper than you're doing hydroponics and uh, everything can be natural and healthy. Um, I'm happy with what's going on. And I'm also, like I said, we were talking about community. I'm, I'm you know, doing my best to try to build community out here. And, uh, you know, I've been meeting a lot of people. Um, I've met people that uh, have been listening to the show for a year. I met someone a couple of days ago. And he's like, I can't believe I'm talking to you right now. And I'm like, <laughs> it's totally cool, bro. Like, come on in and let's burn a bowl. Awesome. Yeah, you got to be an ambassador for it, I think, in some ways. And that's what I've always liked about Brandon and many of the people on this panel and many of the people I associate with. I try to sort of, you know, in a rising tides lift all ships sort of a mentality. But, you know, that's why it's great to meet with you, Hota. Thanks. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. I think being positive and trying to present a positive message in the community has also been something that I've tried to do as much as possible. I try to stay away from all the drama and all the other stuff that's going on. I don't post a lot of memes. I just try to focus on the plant, you know, try to make it as much about the plant and about convincing and encouraging people to grow their own and, and being positive. I mean, especially like in times like now where we're all going to have PTSD from <laughs> how much we're being beaten with these messages all the time coming at us from all angles. You can't watch TV. You can't watch a commercial. You can't see an ad. You can even read your mail right now without getting hit with something. So um, I've been going live once or twice a day, almost every day for the last couple of weeks uh, just showing people my garden, talking about what's going on, my worm bin, my vegetables, just different stuff and just being positive and, and just squelching all of those types of messages and trying to keep it focused and, and create kind of like a safe space uh, yeah. so that people can, can kind of let their brains rest a little while. You know, I, you know what? I, I like the fact that you said something because I think right now there is a really huge opportunity for a lot of people to you know not focus on that while they're doing while they're at home like start building a garden start making a worm bin start growing yourself like start growing your own cannabis you know like that's the right. kind of thing that if grow you, your own lettuce grow exactly, your own veggies right. so you don't have to go to the store right so well, lettuce I mean, self-sufficiency is is what it really comes down to is is i think that we should try to strive as a whole entire nation to be more independent and self-reliant as a whole, because we can, you can grow uh, enough food for your family in a really small space Absolutely. and it's more healthy for you. It's better. And just having more organic and sustainable practices in your everyday life you know, yep. is yep. just more healthy. And I really want to see that. I think it's a huge opportunity right now. Um, I'm seeing a lot of it as far as like, I sold out of Bokashi because so many people wanted to start doing the recycling with their, yep. with their waste. And it's like, I'm going to have to really uh, get be more on top of this because it, it is, it's really a huge opportunity right now. And people are, I think, wanting to wanting that, you know, I think they generally want to not have to rely on Walmart and the, and the only places that are open right now, you know? Right. Right. Um, yeah, I, I, learning I, how to I, grow your own, it, I mean, when you're stuck at home, there's no better time to, to become a home gardener, that's for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. The rebirth of the victory garden. Yeah. Right? 
It's funny. Yeah. It's funny. And home growers have an advantage in sort of having some horticultural skills going into and, that. And all the equipment. <laughs> right. <laughs> yep. That's actually one thing that I'm super excited about as well, is that the democratization of certain technologies anyways over time, you know, something that was super expensive 15 years ago might not be so now. And, Absolutely. you know, I'm, I'm uh, excited about like being able to take tissue samples maybe and being able to be like, well, you know, this is where the pedigree is maybe for the plant that you're growing or like, is this pest resistant to something or, you know, cool stuff like that, that would either be total science fiction, uh, you know, several decades ago, or at least were super expensive and nuanced and maybe are now more easily used. So, yeah, we're getting to a point where pretty much you're going to pretty soon, you're going to be able to add a, an app on your phone and zap a vegetable in the grocery store and get the nutritive value of that grocery, of that pepper. right. Um, crazy, like to think of where the technology is going. And, and I actually believe that's where we need to be because that's how you differentiate the market. Um, that's how you differentiate these things that are being grown regeneratively uh, as opposed to in these mass agricultural processes where you can show the nutritive value. And when p consumers can actually choose and vote with their dollars, is when you will see that tide start to swing. Right now, you can't tell the difference by looking at a pepper, one pepper or another pepper, how it was grown. But if you could, I guarantee you, people will start choosing uh, the one that is better for you. Just like that's why the organic food movement has finally kicked in and people are making money in stores like Whole Foods and things like that that are trying to present a better face and better food products are doing are, are a profitable business model these days. I definitely agree. There are some who think that utilization of technology or some sort of digitization is kind of moving away from the natural. And I suppose to, in some perspectives, I can see how that might be the case, but ultimately that's how we're actually making it possible to prove its, its usefulness, I think, personally. And to facilitate it, right? Yeah. I mean, to be able to fly a drone over a field of plants and use the pictures of them to detect deficiencies or problems within the fields, not have to walk the fields. Um, there's all sorts of crazy technology out there. Um, there, was a, there was a farmer a couple of years ago when the drone thing first got big and the FAA banned him actually from doing his stuff because he was going after wild pigs that were destroying parts of his fields. And so he was using these drones to go search out the wild pig dens so that it could go out into the fields and protect his farm. Um, there's, there's just amazing applications of technology that could be utilized to help bring this forward. But I think, you know, again, you want to kind of, we do want to use these tools and we want to take advantage of these tools for what they bring. But I think, again, getting back to nature, uh, learning and understanding how biology, a little bit more about biology, um, all these folks who now regret not paying attention in school to when they dissected worms or, you know, learning about, learning about so basics of soil microbiology, even how to, use a, how to use a microscope, right? How many people learned how to use a microscope in, in high school or in elementary school but have never used it since? 
And there's so many of us now that are like, man, I need to go get a microscope. I got to go learn about biology so I can check my tea. <laughs> oh, absolutely. It's why I love in that in the video that I've been talking about for like two or three months now that I finally released on my channel. That's why I devote a big section of it to the evolution of plants and arthropods and viruses and bacteria and fungi and how all of those things interacted. And it kind of gives you, it sort of dispels a lot of myths about certain organisms. And it also kind of lets you know how exactly it came to be. And it's super fascinating when I tell people things like, well, termites are actually just cockroaches. And for example, uh, you know, fungi are the reasons why we have bacterial symbioses because of an ancient interaction that mutated a long, long time ago. It's crazy. I also wanted to throw something out there in the uh, cross-section of technology and like using biocontrols. There's a thing similar to what Hota was talking about earlier with like flying drones over the field to detect efficiencies. There's also a company called Parabug out of Salinas, California, and they use drones to airdrop predator mites onto parts of the field where they're detecting outbreaks of pests, which they're operating in Florida, Arizona, Washington, Australia, and California. So, I mean, it's seeming to take off. It's, it's not like a just cool techie sci-fi stuff like this is actually effective and uh, I, implemented i want matthew gates to design a nanobot spider mite predator that will clear out the, an acre in a half a day <laughs> you know i like i've had that exact thought something like that at least um and I'm going. I want to say this, Jack. Uh, I know Chandler, and I, I really like Parabug as well as a as a as a concept, and also practically as a company. And so, I'm happy that you brought them up. I also think that there are like really cool things like intelligent intelligent systems. I think they're called. Um, they made like a laser system, and I love talking about it. And it, it was made for malarial mosquitoes. It basically it it can discriminate like a mosquito from like a fly or a moth. And it would laze that target and their bodies are so small all you really need to do is like and like a, a few nanoseconds of discharge right and then you melt yeah. their wings and they can't move that's all you need you don't have to kill them but you probably will kill them <laughs> like i don't know that could be kind of cool and of course it would have to be less expensive and all that but yeah i i don't know i think that you got to know the biology the physiology the evolution in my opinion right. most optimally but also that way you can use the technology in a way that's most uh, facilitating and not like maybe go too far in one direction and be exploitive to the ecology. So what we got to do, right, is we got to build a drone that has some AI technology that can target pests with a laser and destroy them like Star Wars program. Yes, definitely. Um, <laughs> and then airdrop bugs right afterwards to follow yeah, up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Good bug. <laughs> reinforcements oh man i love i love it i love all of that <laughs> well but you know obviously some of those things maybe not so possible but especially I think, when he's working on that samus suit i mean fuck man you well yeah dude first. yeah <laughs> we well, laugh but some of this will be affordable me. and implemented in like a decade drop me off in the uh, locust swarm and I'll, I'll take care of it <laughs> you think a good flamethrower would take care of a locust swarm pretty good you think that'd be pretty effective like a big old net maybe or something i don't know a lot of sticky tape a lot of sticky tape <laughs> or, like, or maybe just a few ostriches i don't know think of the pure protein you could harvest from a locust swarm i mean that's that's solving world hunger right there
that you know I'm I'm for entomophagy myself. Um, I don't know. Would you, would anyone on the panel has anyone on the panel ever ate insects? I have. I have. Yeah. I've eaten them live. Yeah, yeah. Me too. I, I mean, insects are a large part of the cuisine in places that I work. I got five bucks the next for coronavirus. Well, <laughs> I well, would I would not be important. opposed to uh, consuming like mealworm uh, flour or cricket flour as an alternative protein source. I mean, it's it's nature. It's not. It's it's probably more healthy than beef. Oh, it's way more healthy than beef. In a lot of ways. Yeah, chapulines, the cricket flour that you're talking about, chapulines, um, generally comes from southern Mexico. Um, the the cultures down there and um yeah that those crickets that they cultivate for chapulines are some of the best protein for human consumption um and making that into other things it's sort of a perfect food source uh it's only cultural prohibitions that prevent us from eating them but they I dry totally roast crickets it's... and sell them in bags and eat them as snack food i mean so it's pretty ubiquitous if you every want to be honest every, every american's eaten is eating bugs they weren't alive but uh yes. I mean, there's so much allowed there's so much <laughs> so many allowed bugs in the foods right now it's just ridiculous man. well on top of that if you look at like fine dining all these chef shows where they go to all these fancy places me and my wife lady greenstock we love watching all these culinary shows and every single time in, in whatever insect whether it's ants or or the uh, grasshopper that they're just talking about I'm always like, oh, people aren't gonna like this. And then once they get over like the ick factor in their head and they actually just try it and they're told like, oh yeah, this is actually a really popular dish year. They try it, they love it. And like 100% of the time, like most people are like, oh wow, that's way better than I was expecting. So I think it is sort of a mind over matter type thing at first. And then you realize like, oh, it's clean, healthy protein and natural and it might be better for you than the alternatives. Those, those mental categories though are really well entrenched. Um, we, we are very sensitive to what we consider food and what we consider not food. Um, and really, I mean, people will starve to death in the presence of edible food that they define as non-edible. Like That's Ireland, true. the potato famine, like they had a lot of herbs and things that they could have uh, went and eaten, but they were just so fixated on the one potato. And, well, they, they were actually season. facing a caloric deficit there, too. I mean, there weren't enough calories being produced to maintain that population. So yeah, shrimp, shrimp and lobster are just big bugs. I'm just saying. That's actually... <laughs> yeah, I mean, we eat crawfish, and we eat crawfish tails that look exactly like roasted maggots. I mean, if you get crawfish tails, like fried <laughs> crawfish tails, that's, that's fried maggots. I mean, you might as well just be eating fried grubs or something. I mean, it would look the, it, like the same. I mean, but back to delicious. the evolution point, well, right? So, like insects, hexapoda, you know, insects, they, they come from the group of pan crustacea. Insects are basically crustaceans that colonize land first. And this is actually one of the reasons why major insect orders that exist now, like dragonflies, for example, require water to complete their life cycle. So this is a totally true statement, basically. Um, well, it's the opposite way around. It's the, the crabs actually came to become the maggot, right? Was sort of, right? So like with the basal insects and then they became what they became. I'm, I've never had it before, but I would, I'd be curious, especially the shrimp analogy or the, or the lobster analogy with like large beetle grubs. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know, maybe they're too fatty or whatever, but I would be curious what like a giant uh like stag beetle or hercules beetle uh grub would be like 
like fried in an appropriate way. I've never had well, it. Well, I think it would be visually indistinguishable. I you're right. I don't know what the what the experience would be, but from all reports, fried um, grubs like that are just absolutely delicious. They have a pretty wow. high fat content, and um, yeah, it tastes like butter. People we call to me. sounds great. We call lobsters down here the spiny lobster in San Diego. I used to dive more. Uh, there's been a few shark attacks, and my partner actually left the city, so I don't have anybody to dive with anymore. But the spiny lobster is referred to as a bug. They call it bugging. Like you're gonna go bugging. You're gonna go snag some bugs. You can grab seven lobsters a day in San Diego. Crawfish or mud bugs. Mud bugs. Yeah, I love crawfish. Crawfish are called mud bugs, man. You pinch that. You pinch the head, and you you pinch the tail off, and you suck the heads. I mean, that's that's kind of how you eat them. When I was um... well, right. If you're culturally used to eating those things, I mean, if you're not culturally used to eating those things, it will turn your stomach, and and you have such a, a sort of psychosomatic reaction to it that it would prevent you from being able to receive the nutrition. I mean, you'd throw it up. I, I never I was... tried it. We have a very limited uh, set of palate experiences here in the U.S. We don't. There's a lot of types of things that they enjoy in other parts of the world that we don't really eat much, like chicken feet, right? Um, I mean, I had a Chinese when I, anything. When I lived in China, I had a buddy tell me that Chinese that the chicken feet was the best part of the right. chicken. Right. Well, you guys, pig's feet is the best part of the pig. Um, I don't eat pork, but I mean, my wife goes nuts for pigs, pig's feet and pig's feet soup and stuff like that. So yeah, that's part of the best part of the fish is in the cheeks, right? Yeah. Best part I, of the fish is in the cheeks. That's what they say. I could see, I could see pig's feet because I feel like there's actually some meat that you could actually eat, but I've, I've tried it with dim sum and other things, chicken feet, even chicken if it was yeah, great, there's not a lot there. There's not a whole lot there. I don't get it. It's the experience. It's the way it's so that, that. Some of it has to do with textures, right? I like suppose. It, it's the experience of the textures and, and they developed a, a liking for it. You're used to it, right? It's been, it depends on what you're used to and what you're raised to eat for the most part, mm. what you've experienced. Yeah, it's interesting how those, those sort of boundary issues get set up and categorical issues about what we would consider it and what we don't. And it just really is difficult for people to cross their categories like that. I mean, there's, so, people who, there's people who only will eat, you know, chicken tenders. They won't eat chicken on a bone. Right. Right. What's up, As we become further and further removed. Most of us probably wouldn't feel comfortable slaughtering our own chickens, right? And um, sort of killing the chicken and plucking the feathers and dismembering it and then cooking it up and eating it. Um, as we get further removed, and, and so maybe you're feeling like, oh, but I'm still willing to eat it off the bone, right? Well, um, other people aren't even willing to eat it then until it becomes more further processed. Um, my my grandfather was a butcher, process. so. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> I said, my grandfather was a butcher, so I'm a little bit, and I was in the food business, so I'm a little bit more comfortable taking an animal apart than. Uh, yeah, right. But yeah, I, I think but most you see people the progression don't. there, right? Like, sure, I mean, sure, absolutely. Uh, yeah. When you're when you're four years old, when you're four years old and you go into the into your grandfather's walk in and you see a big thing hanging from the ceiling and you go, what is that, grandpa? And he goes, it's a cow. <laughs> you learn, you learn. But we used to I mean, even then we used to eat uh, ground beef directly out of the grinder raw when I was a kid. Yeah. 
but he was grinding it. He was curing it. He was yeah, aging he that beef. Source of it. Right. Right. I was just going to ask Matthew how the, go ahead. Backfly Lava Farm was going. That's what it, he was doing, right? Bot, 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 the Black Soldier Fly Larvae. That's uh, it, yeah. yeah. Bot flies would be gross as hell. Um, but, but, uh, yeah, Black Fly. Uh, the, um, there, it's actually uh, dormant right now. It has been. I haven't. I had to restart the colony, but I had. But I got a lot of interesting data from the last like year or so of its usage. This biopod. Um, for those who aren't aware, I've been doing this project with black soldier fly larvae. Um, basically, they're really great. Um, uh, they're not composters, not like earthworms, but what they do is they they process kitchen waste really well. They can, they can even process, if your colony is large enough, meat because it's so quick. Um, so anyways, uh, and what they, what they develop, what they excrete is um, liquid and it's very microbially active and it repels other flies as well. So you, you don't have the risk of other flies coming in and like sort of soiling it, which is kind of nice and um, I thought it was quite, honestly, I, in some ways I didn't produce enough kitchen waste and I would have to sort of make larger meals than I normally would, or what I eventually did was utilize a, a sort of a, um, a different method. I would just collect other stuff from, a, from my friends and things like that. But yeah, um, I think I'm going to restart it pretty soon. That's wild. Yeah. Since you were talking about bugs, we'll get back to, uh. Yeah, for sure. Um, it is springtime, so uh, there's definitely going to be a lot more. But it was raining a lot in Southern California, so and maybe other parts of California too. Um, so that's pushed back some of the pests, for example, um, that would normally kind of evacuate from all the dried up weedy plants and then go into the greenhouses and outdoor crops. But it's going to happen in the next month or so if it hasn't already in your location in the California, at least, and that sort of climate. I got a question for all the panel. So uh, what are what are all you guys, I'll just go down the list. What are you guys using for your uh, integrated pest management stuff, like biocontrols, either at your home um, or if you're doing a facility or larger thing? Because that's one of the biggest, that was one of the things that me transitioning into a large scale that I had to like figure out, you know, dosaging and how much of need. Um, so what, what, are you guys, what, are, what is everybody doing on the panel for that? I use the amazing Dr. Zimes um, and I'll be working at a greenhouse facility here in California that's opening up pretty soon that will be implementing that as well as like the main IPM for veg. I like that. I like the enzymes. It definitely can help uh, protect the phytosphere from any type of pathogen. It works well. Right, so I, just had to pull, I just had to pull up the, the information because I can, for my phone, I can access it. Um, but I pulled up our IPM log so I can actually tell you. Actually, I don't know if I am allowed to tell you everything that I'm using, but uh, I can at least give I can I can at least give you a list of products that we have in our cabinet at work that we can use at different times if needed. How's that? That way, I'm not getting in any trouble by saying 
how much I'm using or what we're using there. And because uh, I did get myself in a little hot water sometimes giving out some things that they didn't really want out. Great. Not that it was a danger to, uh, to you know, not that there was any crazy information. It's just that they felt like it was different than what everybody else is doing. So they thought it might give them an advantage or whatever. But No, no Spartan, you're a censorist and you're a bad person. And we need to know everything. We are entitled to all of the information. It's called competitive advantage. And if you're, uh, if you're in a, in a, you know, a medical uh, facility type situation. Yeah. If you have a, a competitive advantage of the <laughs> next person, um, you know, then <laughs> that's that's you like to keep it that way for you. Uh, <laughs> having Spartan this, growing this on the is, payroll is a competitive advantage. This is how capitalism is opposed to the forces of uh, that we started off talking about at the beginning of collaboration and, and community, right? right? That well, um, it, you, it necessarily creates these competitive issues. And I'm not faulting you for being part of it. I'm, I mean, you're you're just playing in the the system, and Mitenkanico is just playing in the system as it's been set up. But um, it, it does inhibit certain forms of collaboration and cooperation and community well and he's going to give us the products just not when they use them or how much they use them at so i will tell you that we don't spray anything in flour so all this all the sprays are used in veg vegetative paste so the we have so many products too because we don't use them all at once we like to cycle them there's 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 a there's a cycle we go through where we're not using the same thing back to back we want to hit different modes of action, basically. That's great. Uh, you do both of those things, definitely. Yeah. So uh, we use Azagard, Xerotol. Xerotol is mostly a fungicide, so it's um, it's expensive, but it's super safe. So that's kind of why we went with that for a fungicide. Uh, Pervasum, Green Cure, MBPI, which I have never used that, and I'm not even sure what MBPI is, honestly. So that's something that we barely use. Uh, sulfur, which we haven't used in a long time, but that's one of my preferred for clone dips. I like to dip a whole plant in sulfur. Uh, Botanigard and Sufoil X are the ones that we cycle through at work. At home, I'm just using plant therapy uh, as IPM and veg. Um, I'm trying to think of... Uh, oh, also, I, I forgot. I, I, I missed a huge step. In flower, we apply um, predator bugs by sachet or sachet or however you say it. And then we also um, actually just recently started getting California kiss in bottles. So we just apply them right at the base of the, uh, because I don't like dumping all that crap all over my plants. I dump it <laughs> at the base of the stem. So hopefully they, they have some climbing to do, but it is what it is. But then actually, we have a sachet uh, with, we have a sachet for, they call it Thripex. It comes from Copert. K-O-P-E-R-T, I believe is the name of the company. It's out of yeah, they're big. Copert. Yeah, they have a facility or an insectary in Brighton, which one of our um, Michigan Matt shouts Michigan Matt. He lives out that way, so he can stop by there. We have a we have a, a reoccurring order, so he just goes every two weeks and picks them up on his way to work, and we uh, hang them all up. But we have uh, Thripex, which is I'm not exactly sure all of the there's there's a like a, a blend per se of of predators in it. Uh, Cucumeris is in it. Cucumeris, yep. Yeah, and then uh, there's another one. Uh, we use Swarovski, Swarovski eye, or however you want to say that one. I guess Swarovski it would be Swarovski eye with having two eyes at the end, maybe. That's the technically correct Latin pronunciation, but even that can be hard to, you know, do in other names. But yeah, <laughs> the guy who made, the guy who discovered it is, Swar his name is Swarovski. So, okay. Swarovski and then, <clears throat> and then I believe, 
on rare occasion, if we get a uh, like an outbreak or we notice something in there and we want to clean it up, on rare occasion, we'll get different predators, uh, especially we like the flyers <laughs> because they can go from plant to plant, obviously. Absolutely. Um, so um, things like pirate bugs or osiris. Yeah. yeah. Yep. The Oreos are great because they don't they don't necessarily just worry about killing for food. They just like to stab stuff. Yes. Um, so they're they're, they're just general. They're just general. They just go in there and they attack. Just they remember, they like to stab people too. Yes, they do. Isn't they do. They do. Californicus mite isn't that a um, a soil dwelling mite though? Uh, I don't know if he's so. Oh, um, actually, I have Matthew answer this. So, no. yeah, good question. Um, I was actually just about to say and comment that the, the so Copper's Thripex product, um, I'm looking at the website right now, uh, is a Neocilius cucumerus. And what I was going to comment was that cucumerus is actually a type 3 E predatory mite, which is a designation that was made by. Um, uh, McMurtry, which is a, he is a, um, uh, sort of, is he an agricultural entomologist? Anyways, point being is that he classified a lot of, uh, predatory mites that were in the Phytoceidae family that a lot of them we use in biocontrols and type three E means that they do, uh, enjoy the soil, but they'll also go into the plant to, um, predate. And, you know, so I thought that that was interesting because you mentioned utilizing, Californicus in this way, and possibly Swirskii, or or one or the other in bulk. Um, and honestly, it's really not a huge problem. Um, it's obviously more optimal to apply as close to the colony as possible of pests. Mm. But you know, Matthew, why don't they have sachets for certain predators like Priscillamus? Right, I never see them in sachet. Uh, offered in sachets. They need to feed on certain stuff in the little sachets. I would guess. I would, Matt, what, what would you have to say? That's usually, correct. Usually, they they put uh, the uh, compost mold mites in there uh, as feeders. At least in all the different sachets that I've uh, come across. Yeah, I think the, some are just less prone to doing that yeah. well. Yeah, the cucumber is cool. from a beneficial insectary that's got like that yeast. Uh, product in there so it's almost it's it's got its own little almost pikachu like yeast kind of uh, thing going on inside those sachets to, to support those uh, cucumeras yeah Over it's there. kind of cool how how two to three can, weeks you can right. make a little ecology sachet um it reminds me of a high school project that i did about that show us how different ecosystems interacted or different grades of the of the stratification of the trophic web but um uh to answer your question uh persimilis is a type 1a predatory mite so it's a specialist on tetranicus uh genus spider mites spider mites yeah yeah and so they don't feed on anything else and the spider mites don't feed on anything else but plant matter so it's difficult to do that sort of a thing um, I think usually Swirskis because picked over those because the Swirsky are way more uh, like cheap. fast. <laughs> they're they're way faster. You can get them in sachets, and uh, they're like they're like ravenous. Like they're also they, general. They take out more than just like one thing. They take out a lot of different things too. Yes, they do. Like they take out thrip, white flies, russet mites, broad mites. Although some people will contend the russet mite comment. Um, they've definitely been shown in studies, and I have videos on my youtube channel to prove this point 
I have firsthand experience with it. And firsthand experience, right? So both of these- I was going to say that about Californicus and the uh, leaf zone. I've used them firsthand on the foliage of the leaf directly during an outbreak. We, My barber got spider mites and he used Lost Coast Plant Therapy. He would dunk a barbecue skewer and then remove the webbing. And then he would drop the- Californicus on there and they just devoured the spider mites like within a week it was like not even a fair fight they just smacked all the spider mites to the point there was no remaining population where the predators ended dying off and he was able to make it through harvest and this was uh, like five or six weeks into flower which would have been devastating and uh, the predator saved his butt can can we haven't heard from you in a while what are you using for your uh, ICM right now yeah I think that I probably put most of my effort um, as I'm sure everybody does on uh, trying to prevent any of them from starting just because just like uh, what Spartan said, I don't spray anything during flower. And I think that any battle is generally an uphill battle anytime you catch anything that, you know, that late in the run. So uh, anyone that follows me knows that my go-to is uh, sulf- uh, foliar applications of sulfur dust uh, on my mother's, on my cuts and throughout veg. Obviously, that's uh, a no-go anytime after uh, after veg. Um, aside from that, I think that just watching, watching what my uh, cleanliness coming into the garden and making sure that I don't cross-contaminate uh, any of my uh, flower rooms or any of my grow spaces. I mean, I got several different flower tents going. So that's all that. I mean, I, that's not to say that you don't ever have to address something in flower. I, uh, I think that crop scouting really thoroughly uh, in flower will help you get ahead of something really quick. Like I did have um, my grow run 14. I had some spider mites come in and that was two, uh, two five by five tents. And uh, I just, every single day, I, at first, when I first, um, when I first caught it, it was just, I removed every single leaf that I saw any sign of it on. Um, it's not ideal to defoliate like that, but if it's uh, to combat the a pest or a pathogen issue, you know, getting widespread, then I'll definitely do that. And uh, and then every day, it's just a, it's a little bit of added effort, but you just gotta kind of you can get it through the harvest. You don't have to panic, but uh, crop scouting and then removing uh, physically removing any leaf matter, I think, is big. Anyways, it, it definitely helps keep populations down. And then just accepting that small populations are not, are not, uh, it's not death for your garden. You know, you can, it can be controlled. Just make sure that uh, you thoroughly clean it before you get another run in there. But uh, I think lost close plant therapy and uh, the amazing doctor's arms are good options if you want to go that route. Uh, here in Canada, I like to keep a close eye out on what Health Canada approves also because uh, a lot of what I, what I do, I, I want to be able to uh, migrate into a commercial environment. So that's something to think about. Anyways, I don't know if that answers your question, but those are things. Awesome, awesome. Yeah. You know, you just, if you keep doing what you're doing, um, you'll get into the position that you want. I think that every single person on the panel here, um, the, next, the upcoming years for all of us are going to be crazy. You know, because we're going to be sorry. One thing I do want to add is I do do want to say that technology, I'm I'm really interested in the technologies. I know that Matt's talked about it a couple of times, but I'm really interested in advances in lighting technology that'll help the battle. 
uh, pathogens and maybe pests. And uh, I'm also, uh, uh, I'm, I also use, for example, uh, I've had PM issues as anybody following me knows. So um, anytime I catch any of that, I bust out my UVC light and I treat it every single day to control those, uh, you know, any outbreaks with that. So I think technologies like that are going to be really interesting to see. Um, you know, I mean, if you have the ability to, I run an ozone generator in my lung room or any airborne pathogens. So just things like that. There's things that you can do that don't necessarily have to involve. Um, it doesn't have to be a go-to. And for those of you doing regenerative, you guys know that, you know, uh, establishing a great uh, biological environment in your in, in your soil and, and your, your plants will do most of the battle for you, right? If that's, if that's your setup. So there's a lot of different things that you can do uh, without having to necessarily jump straight away to spraying stuff on your plants. It's typically, whether you're commercial or residential, a great, probably some of the best uh, investments in your grow. And since so many people are trying to home grow now, this might be pertinent information to invest in things long standing, you know, uh, preventative measures that might be a little bit more money, or maybe you'll have to make an enclosure, or, or maybe you put out the extra. 50 bucks, 20 bucks, 100 bucks, whatever, on a really elegant setup that uh, sort of prevents a lot of things at once from being a problem, especially if you make it more convenient for yourself to do so and to be uh, proactive is probably better than any single product you could buy curatively, so. Hey, Ken, Ken, I have a question for you. Um, have you tried applying... Um, like a potassium silicate, like Agsil 16, or uh, have you tried using um, uh, protein soy hydrolysate or uh, any type of lactic acid bacteria? Because all three of those things um, can really help with powdery mildew. Uh, <laughs> potassium silicate uh, works really well because it changes the pH of the water to extremely high. So when you do a foiler application, you're getting both the silica, the, the extra potassium, but you're raising the phylosphere's pH. And then any time that uh, a powdery mildew, uh, the spores or the physical flowering form of it comes in contact with that, it actually kills it off. Um, I know also that the amino acids, um, they have uh, like chitinase. Um, in it and that will actually dissolve the cell membrane of those organisms which can also be beneficial to the phylosphere yeah i haven't tried those particular things i do know that um again as an organic uh application if anyone's interested i know that uh, bacillus sub subtilis i think uh is is a is a good way to be able to combat some pm uh, i know Stephen raisner talks about that a lot um, and, uh, but like I said, I mean, I'm not sure all of the applications of everything that you mentioned. Um, but, uh, you know, I find specifically with powdery mildew anyways, um, it's really difficult once it's already taken hold. I think that, you know, you can do things like, uh, you need to control, I think the, the, um, just how much of it is in the in the environment already or in the air. So you can use things like slow release chlorine dioxide, which is a little safer than running ozone, uh, which you're not going to want to run in your uh, around your plants. 
but I, I'll definitely look into some of. Uh, look, I'm always open to any new ideas. Uh, fortunately, I've uh, I've really really gotten it a lot more under control. But uh, hey, uh, like I said, I'll reach out to you and I'll I'll get some of those uh, those other things you mentioned and, uh, and maybe try and implement them in my grow. In my grow. Does anyone else have uh, IPM stuff? Because there was something that we talked about earlier that I wanted to jump back into, but I wanted to give everybody an opportunity if they haven't already talked about their IPM to go through it. Well, I was just, I use beneficial insects and I think anyone who tries them and says they aren't effective is having a problem because like when you release them, they need a certain environment to be alive and thrive. And a little more humidity is what most of them like. So, I mean, I'm, that's all I'll say on that matter. But yeah, I won't spray anything on my plants, but water and maybe a little bit of like a, a compost tea thing. But other than that, just straight water. Um, I can go over my IPM just real quick. Um, so I'm doing this uh, almost the exact same thing that I was doing before. I had to drastically increase the amount um, for obvious reasons. Uh, but Steiner, Steiner name of Feltier nematodes. Um, I do the Bavaria bassiana, um, PFR 97. Um, I added, I added the azadiractin, uh, and you can do, you can add, you can do combinations of things like azadiractin with uh, the spore PFR97 or the, the Isana or the Bouveria bassiana and then you get like a dual mode of action where the azadiraction will really inhibit the insect's ability to kind of move around and then the spore can take a hold and start you know uh, disintegrating its exoskeleton so it could you know replicate inside of the the insect's bodies um so though that's what i use and then for the phylosphere i don't i just use uh dr enzymes and i usually spray up about the second week of flower when i start seeing the onset of the flowering sites um after that i don't spray any um i mean i don't, I don't really need to and then just keeping a nice making sure you know i keep the floors mopped up the walls wiped down and tables clean it's pretty it works pretty well uh and and i don't have to go into a ton of different things that i'm rotating i'm just rotating a few things that work really really well uh, but it did take me um it did take me a little bit to get matt out out here and it was just not something that could be done so uh, i figured it out though i got it done it's it's just one of those things where it's a kind of a learning curve when you start scaling what about you uh Hota? i don't know if i've heard Kyle, though i haven't heard we haven't heard anything from you <clears throat> yeah oh sorry i we both threw it off this different people so i guess Hota <laughs> or kyle either of you want to talk about your ipm yeah so um, i can let the uh <clears throat> i i've been using uh, so I do K and F. So I've been doing Korean natural farming. So there's the OHN, which is an anti-pathogenic, and I'm using Lab. So I have my lactic acid bacteria I use in my uh, in my uh, foliar spray, and I'm doing a once a week foliar spray with the Korean natural farming inputs. Um, so again, the OHN and the Labs. Um, I've been using uh, recently. I actually have some. I'm, I'm fighting some thrips right now. 
So I'm using Cucumerus, uh, Aureus, uh, the Delosha, the rope beetles, and I also put some Stradio Lalap in the soil so that they could attack some of the larvae. Uh, in the past, I've used predatory nematodes as well. Um, but yeah, I don't like to spray anything. I prefer to use the predatory insects. And um, I do sometimes use a little bit of a thyme oil or like a peppermint oil in my KNF spray as well. Um, and that's pretty much worked out for me for the most part. But recently, like I said, I've been fighting some thrips. And so I brought in a lot of extra predators and I brought in both bulk uh, cucumerous as well as some sachets so that they could hit them right away as well as have some that would slow release over time. Um, I threw in some aureus and, and the rove beetles so they could just run around and attack and kill and some of the stratiolalap again so they could attack some of the larvae in the soil. Um, but I worked with my friends from Beneficial Insectary on helping me pick the right bugs and when to release them and how to release them and all that stuff so that's kind of my ipm strategy in general i don't uh i i'm spraying foliar in veg only with the knf inputs when i'm in uh flower i'm using things more in a root dredge but i do release the aureus and the stratiolalap and the cucumerus in my flower tent uh, rogue beetles i was warned against the delosha because they will kind of get into the buds and stuff sometimes yeah, so rope beetle, they don't typically venture into uh, heavily trichromed areas of the plant, but every once in a while they will get stuck. Um, yep. It's just one of those things, like where I see on a commercial uh, kind of level, um, I don't, I'll see one every once in a while, but it's not, I think that the, uh, the benefit definitely outweighs, you know, uh, having to, you know, brush a, a bug off of one of your, you know, one of your right. buds. Oh, absolutely. Um, and then Matt, they, it, it, I don't know if I'm correct or not on this, but did they rename the rose beetle uh, to, to a different name? Victoria, or because it was so classified as something else, and I'm not sure if they like renamed it. Well, the Stradio Laylap definitely got renamed because that was more the Hypoasis Miles uh, previously and is now being referred to, I think, as Stradio Laylap instead. No, there's this great, I'm going to answer both of those comments. Um, <laughs> there's this great uh, research report called, uh, Will the Real Stradio Laylabs Please Stand Up? It's actually <laughs> the real title to the research report. Acarologists are, I guess, those kinds of people. Great. I mean, I love it. Uh, and But he, in the, in the paper... Uh, and a few other papers that I can't think of the names of right now, um, they kind of talk about the hypoaspininae group in the Lelapidae family. And I'm not an acarologist, uh, and it's a very nuanced and specialized field. But my understanding is that really, you know, there's a lot of cryptic species, and what we first morphologically described as one thing uh, you know, as it is very common for a lot of microarthropods in general and a lot of other life forms in, um, in general. Uh, this, the, the hollow type that we used as like the bar standard for hypoaspis miles or striolalaps schematis or whatever, you know, aren't representative. And so like, to be quite honest, the cultures that you're getting from commercial locations, it's hard to really say what it even means when you're saying one's one or the other, but taxonomically, that's the, the situation is that there's kind of a waste bin taxa, meaning that 
um, there's not enough sort of like the need, there's going to be some taxonomic restructuring and I'm sure that the entomologists, probably the people who are working with such mites, um, and I don't really know this, but I'm sure that there's academic efforts to sort of understand where the cult, what the cultures are genetically maybe, and maybe that'll happen in the future to like kind of make sure that cultures that are going out to growers are like um, uh, highest quality possible based on number of maybe phenotypic characteristics. Um, like for example, Swirskii, the population that copper uses, I believe is a non-diapausing population. So it doesn't go dormant when the seasons change, which is obviously advantageous. As for the Delosia cararia, um, I'm pretty sure it did have a synonym, um, but I don't remember it off the top of my head, but now it's Delosia. It might be a different species epithet now, but um, again, that's also difficult because Staphylinidae, the family of rove beetles, is super speciose, and um, there's probably maybe a couple of different species in circulation or, or, or populations that are like cryptic species, but, you know. More well, this is, so these are two things that I have observed because I both use the hypoaspis miles and the uh, Athena, the rove beetle. And <laughs> you're right, that was the genus. It was the Athena, yeah. Um, so what I have really noticed, uh, in my experience is hypoaspis miles to me seems more opportunistic than anything. And I see, um, like from just videos under the, the dynolite and stuff like that, that it really, it, it'll feed off anything. It'll feed off soil litter matter, like organic matter. It'll feed off, um, you know, like, uh, fungus gnat eggs. Um, if there, but it's just like, if it's right there in front of it, it's not like, it's not like searching out these types of food sources. Um, this is what I've seen anyway, cause I have, I have watched these things like for hours, like literally. <laughs> you sound like me. Um, most of these predatory mites are blind or essentially blind. Um, so they, I like to tell people that they seek, they don't hunt. I guess technically that's a semantic thing, but I mean to say that they can't, it's hard for them to actively hunt the way that we would think about hunt with their perception. They do smell, they do have olfactory um, responses to certain chemicals, and sometimes it very much changes their behavior, um, like uh, overposition behavior for, for like Amplicia swirskii and a few other predatory mites. Uh, like Phytostelis persimilis, they do change when they can detect like the presence of thrips, which by the way, um, thrips are predator, they're omnivorous. A lot of people know them as herbivorous pests, but they are omnivorous and opportunists. And um, Western flower thrips, which are like some of the most common, uh, they will definitely feed on spider mite eggs and whether they're predatory or not, if they get the opportunity. Um, there's an interesting research report I was reading about that. So it's really kind of funny to think about how nuanced it all is. And, but if you know that about your biocontrol, you know, like what you're saying here, the fact that you observe them and try to like understand them better, I think is a, is a hugely beneficial practice. I want to yeah. say for the layman who don't understand uh, some of the more scientific terms, what Matt was just saying is thrips basically can turn around and eat the predator that's trying to eat them. If it's in given the right situation, if I'm understanding or, or it correctly. The, or you could think of it as like competition, right? Because they're both herbivores and they're both super generalists. So if the Western flower thrips, if the spider mite presence 
elicits an immune response that also negatively affects the Western flower thrips. Western flower thrips, if it can normally feed covertly and not elicit the same immune responses, um, then it should kill those spider mites. There's an evolutionary selection pressure to do that. So being able to compete with your competition in that way is, is pretty helpful. It's advantageous. Kyle, you've been super quiet. Wow. I know we tried to get you in there earlier for your IPM. Uh, so predicative breeding, uh, what do you do for your IPM? Uh, I do the same thing as CanCan does uh, during veg. Basically, I just uh, sulfur and some water and uh, kind of spray them down as I go. Um, I had some uh, PM issues. Uh, towards the end before I <clears throat> before I moved and uh, I was basically uh, what does help with that if people don't know uh, I'm sure there's multiple ways to go about it but uh, basically high pH water was a, a really good help but it's a daily process uh, so like on the spot it'll kind of like it goes away but then almost back like the very next day I don't know I kind of wonder if you had that same that if you have that uh, PM and if you were having the same uh, the same problems with the with the high pH water. I mean, did it usually come back in that same area or like? Uh... Yeah. So typically, what'll happen when you when when I have when I have uh, like when I came into the facility that I'm currently at, there was some issues, right? And utilizing these types of um, biocontrols, I guess. I guess potassium silicate isn't really a bio but it does raise the pH, which is going to change, you know, the operation of a microorganism. I mean, pH and hydrology are the two biggest factors when it comes to how a microorganism can reproduce because they're so sensitive both to environment to the environment that if one of those drastically can wipe out a population or if something changes, it can build up a population. One of the things that I that I noticed that it that helped and if you have the capability to do this, um, dim your lights down during your uh, during off time and when they come on because what it does is it allows your VPD and your temperatures to stay exactly the same. They don't fluctuate. And most of the time problems with microorganisms, right? A lot of them are ubiquitous. They won't affect uh, have a negative effect on any type of plant unless there's an event in which it gives them the most opportunity to replicate themselves. So uh, typically that event could be a rapid cooling event where water starts to condense um, and that gives a moisture level and a proper pH and a place for those things that take foothold. So if you can avoid those types of situations by creating an environment where that you know, like my lights at my facility go from a to zero percent over a half an hour period. So what that does is it takes less stress. It takes stress off of my air conditioning and off my dehumidification. So that way my levels stay the same. So it just kind of you know drops down a little bit, and I don't get water condensing. Um, I want to give a shout out to the chat. Um, we have a comment from Mr. Wolf. Rick Wolf says, use amino acid. I wanted to quote uh, Harley, I think from NPK University. He always talks about how in the Netherlands, they were banned from using lots of pesticides in X year. I can't name the year off the top of my head. But he talks about it all the time, how they went from like having 40% of their crops lost to powdery mildew to 0% 
in less than a year after the banning of the pesticides and they figured it out amino acids and uh, silica so if your yep. plant has a good silica source and it's got like stronger cell walls and things like that and you're using amino acid and uh, foliar feeds that was uh, one of the most effective ways they found to eliminate powdery mildew and cucumber production which i think is very susceptible neat thing about that with uh with leaf miner was that i know somebody used a silica product to harden um the structural rigidity of the plants this, these were flowers these were gerbera daisies and they leaf miner the females they have to oviposit into the leaf and um making them so much harder was actually having a measurable number uh, effect on how many eggs they could pr they could put into the plant and of course half of their population uh you only really expect half of their progeny to actually go to come to term so it can be very difficult it's little minor sublethal effects like that that you see in a good ipm bio strategy um can be very effective in tandem so yeah. amino acids are really amazing it's it's you know, one of the things that I use pretty uh, pretty regularly, it's also a product that I sold through, through my company. And like when you, there are certain things that I have discovered throughout, you know, my journey cultivating cannabis and amino acids are by far, I think one of the most beneficial. Um, and I've said this before, I have a theory you know, if a plant, if something is available to a plant that the plant would normally produce, then it doesn't have to expend energy or, you know, metabolic processes to create that. Is They're, that always true? I, I don't know. Look, I'm, I'm saying this is a theory, right? This oh. is my theory. That, you hypothesis. Know, yeah, it's my hypothesis. Hypothesis. <laughs> um, if you have these things available that the plant would you know, use energy to produce, then they can focus that energy on other processes. I definitely, you know, you quoted something uh, before that I thought was a really, I wanted to circle like several, you mentioned this a few times in the podcast, not what you just said per, uh, right now, um, but your theory about how like if a plant um, is in a new environment or any environment and it doesn't have to put its uh, resources into defense it can put them into like growth for example um, that sort of a thing it's a actual theory and I wanted just to mention the, the name of this ecological theory that kind of goes over this sort of a thing it's called the universal adaptive strategy theory uh, by uh, J. Philip Grime and it's a really interesting way to look at plants and when you look at them in that way where they have like a three-way trade-off between like uh, like defense, growth, and I don't know what the other one is. Environment. environment? Is it environment? Is it environment? Um, well, regardless. Uh, <laughs> oh, um, yeah, I don't remember. But my point that I'm trying to get to is that um, it's. I think it might be true for some things for sure. I wasn't trying to... Uh, knock you down a peg or anything i think that that's that's that could be true for more things than others depending on the plant as well and at the very least if they're provided with the um if the if the molecule degrades maybe the organisms around it can build it back up or transmit it into them so they can produce it easier which is still a win well that's 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 the, that's one of the things with the amino acids right because these are the basic building blocks of all things and so they can they have the potential to 
break things down, like, um, you know, like I said, chitinase, right? Um, but they also has, you know, microorganisms and plant cells, they also have the ability to construct these things into other more complex proteins and poly, you know, monosaccharides or polysaccharides and all these other different chemical components. That's the best thing about like carbon. It has like so many different structures that can go together in so many different ways and create so many different substances, you know, to give us life. And that's what amino acids offer. I mean, they offer a food source for both the microorganisms, but they also are something that are, you know, vital to the plant. And some of these amino acids can only be absorbed through the stomata. So I always recommend people doing a foiler um, because, again, I, I'm, I, just, I just have a – I have a strong intuition and a strong feeling that these things work, you know, there's a lot of data to back that up. I mean, like I was talking about with Harley, they, they've been using amino acid foliars for years and, and recommending them for lots of reasons, uh, nutrient movement, uh, like a lot of other additional benefits, as well as fighting PM. I'll say PM, it, the reason it fights PM, helps fight PM is because the amino acids um, increase the uptake of calcium in the root zone. So um, yeah, they increase from, a lot from, of the uptake of a lot of other minerals. They, it works as um, a, a chelation um, uh, mode. You know, it, it helps you know grab up other potential elements that are in soil and makes them bioavailable. So that's one of the benefits. Yeah, but I was just counts. specifically speaking on why it helps with PM is because the calcium, yeah. uh, the increased calcium that goes up into the plant will. Um, fill in the spaces between the plant cell walls instead of with water it'll fill it with like pectin substance so not only are you gonna which the pm is looking to mine water it's it's uh sending its root spore or whatever you call it into the plant to try to suck that water out well it can't penetrate it if the calcium is high in the plant because it's going to have thick cell walls it's going to have no water for it so it'll stick its spore in, but it's not going to get any water because it's yeah. just like that pectin substance and it also gives you like a frost resistance too. Harley was talking, to, you know, shout out to Harley there at MPK Industries, but um, he was talking about, he was growing uh, brassicas like uh, lettuce um, and they had frost resistance. And usually that uh, lettuce is going to wilt super fast in, in a cold situation. I mean, a frost situation. Yeah, especially because it's mostly water. So right. my question lettuce, for you guys. Lettuce is repackaged water. Yeah, it is. But if you were to discover something like this, whether it's at like a Majestic Craft Cannabis or Mitten Canico, it sounds like Mitten Canico has some stuff that they like to keep a little bit prop proprietary as far as like just your process and method. I have nothing against that personally. Uh, I, I personally take the stance of trying to share as much as possible because we talked a little bit earlier about a competitive advantage. And I also think oh, that goes along with sort of proprietary either SOPs or genetics. And what I was going to say is I think Moving forward, one of the best like sustainable competitive advantages is going to be genetics, because I think if you have a unique cultivar that can set you aside from everybody else, that's really going to be able to, uh, regardless of your growing style and cultivation size, sort of uh, garner some attention and get people interested in your product versus just mass producing uh, something that yeah, everybody else but, has. But therein lies the rub, right, Jack? Because like if somebody really does have that, that strain that gives them a competitive advantage... Wouldn't it be great if more people could grow it? I mean, wouldn't it be great if, if it was really good for alleviating a medical condition, for example? Wouldn't it be good if that, you know, other growers could grow that and bring it to different patients? And I mean, 
it always leaks out. Maybe yeah. one that's not leaked out. It's not a competitive advantage, but you're just working at, at sort of we're trying to make a, a sort of the community values of cooperation and sharing and all of that work within the realm of, of like a capitalist profit motive. Um, and they're just fundamentally opposed. And, and this is something we struggled with in, in thinking about a business model for cocoa for cannabis. It's like, how do you continue to be in that collaborative mindset in, a, in terms of capitalism? I mean, it's a, it's tough. It's tough. I, I- I got something to say on this, right? Because I am operating uh, a larger facility and uh, I do have some genetics that uh, nobody has. You know, my Lymarilla is my flagship. I've been working on it for a really long time. I've been selecting and I've been, you know, crossing and stuff like that. And I absolutely know 100% that it's going to have out here. There's nothing like this. And I have gone through hundreds of varieties. I have grown just about everything you can think of, and there's nothing like that. However, being said, me saying that I'm never going to share it, I've already shared it, right? There are a couple people out there that I felt like you guys should have this. You know, Canna M Gardens, who's a, a master hashishian, has it. Uh, mean gene has it caleb from csi humble has it uh gar uh underrated from potluck he has it and then uh, my homeboy uh in lakeside has it so there's a couple people who have it like at least the number 31 cut but it's one of those where like i have i i'm gonna i will maintain control over this particular variety one it's super um, it's, you know, what I'm going to be continually continue working throughout my career. Um, I don't, I think that this variety is a very, it speaks to me. Um, so I'm not going to say that I'm not going to release it, but I'm going to build it up to a point where it's very popular. And then when it's time, I'll be able to give it out to, you know, to the community, to the home growers that want to, you know, produce their own meds and stuff like that but i want to be able to you know also have a profitable business model based off of you know what i've created and what i've worked for so i sort of see like a two uh parallel or not maybe they're not parallel but like running aside by side with each other and they're never going to interact like i see the home grower market like there's going to be some stuff that just never gets into the commercial market it's like stuff that us home growers are playing around with and passing between each other and then there's stuff that is commercially viable and those will kind of go in waves and ebb and flow and i think like with your limerilla personally i think the most sensible thing going forward is is licensing because if it is good and it is having medical benefits to people like hoarding it in just oklahoma it might not get the notoriety or the benefits that it could have if it was passed to Michigan and to California and all these other places that you've started already uh, give it out. But uh, I sort of lost my train of thought okay. where I was going so, on this. I've been waiting patiently, but uh, I do want to weigh in on this, but it's for a different reason. I'm sure James don't expect. And that's, I, I push back on, on what you say um, as far as I don't think genetics are, I think genet- genetics are important for sure. But I think a good grower is going to get a better 
product out of the same genetics than a bad grower. So in a commercial aspect, I think I, I might've said it on here before. I don't know. I, I do too many shows, but I'd rather know who grew my product than the strain name every single day, because I can get clues from smells and things like that. And strain names I've been in the game and all of us have been in the game long enough to know that what somebody tells you it is, and maybe it is, maybe it isn't, you know what I mean? <laughs> but, uh, you know, our smells, our nose, that never changes. You get certain terpene profiles from the smell. It can remind you of an, another strain, at least give you an idea of what to expect. But uh, a grower tells me a lot more about the product I'm about to ingest than a strain name, I think. Unless we can get to a point to where, you know, we're far from it now. But if we can get to a point to where the strain name actually guarantees that's what you're getting, then I would, I would you know, maybe agree the other way. But even if I don't have the absolute top genetics out there there's so much genetics out there so many so many good ones that i'm not really too worried about having that you know super awesome whatever new fandangled strain that comes out you know if i can get some strains together that i'm happy with or that my customers are happy with in a commercial standpoint all i have to do is refine and, and dial in each strain and learn those strains like the back of my hand and get the best expression i can out of each one because it really comes down to the farmer, like you were saying before. Yeah. You would well, I mean, rather look at the grow off. The grow off is a perfect example. Because yeah. like they give 15 growers the same cut. 15 growers all turn in their samples, and they're tested for overall cannabinoids and overall terpenes, and they're never the same profile of terpenes. They're nope. never the same cannabinoid percentages, and it's never even close. There's always like a 10% gap from the highest THC to the lowest THC. There's a huge variety of terpene profiles. So what Spartan is talking about the whole cultivar, uh, and Matt's talked about this in the past too, being a little bit cultivar agnostic, where it's like, yeah, they could tell your strain name, but does it really mean anything? And sort of the grow off would lead us to believe that sort of right now it, it might not, even if it's the same exact genetic grown in a different environment. At Mitten Canico, GMO is going to taste a certain way. Out here in California, all the GMO I've had doesn't taste anything like garlic. Everybody's talking about how garlicky it is. I can't find a cultivator out here who knows how to grow it at all. So I think it's terrible. I know it's not terrible, but I've only had terrible examples of it. And I would also say from a commercial standpoint, there's a lot of people making money off of gelato, right? There isn't just one gelato. There's a thousand gelatos because it got popular and it got spread and it got advertised and more and more people kept growing it. So it, it kind of grew out of that. It's not that gelato is any better than any one other strain. It's just what became popular and so there's a lot of people making money off of it. So I don't necessarily believe that exclusivity is going to guarantee your right to make money. Um, but I also think there's, you know, there's definitely a different pull, uh, home growers versus commercial growers, right? Commercial growers have to worry about consistency, number one, right? Why does McDonald's sell billions of burgers? It's not because they're good. It's because everywhere you go to McDonald's, you get the same burger. Wait, People I got something to know say what they're going to expect. So McDonald's for the cannabis, right? If you are, if you sell Limerilla and somebody buys it from you and they like it, they're going to want to keep getting it over and over again. And so from a commercial facility, you kind of have to cater a little bit to the demands of the public as opposed to a home grower who's just going to grow whatever the hell he wants. I mean, I've grown 50 different strains over the last two years in my two five by five. So, um, you know, I think home growers are definitely, 
are going to go with the variety. The market demands. The market demands. Unfortunately, Correct. you know, I, I just I need to find a rapper who will uh, be like, I'm a really, you know, because <laughs> that seems to kind of uh, that kind of seems to be a norm in a lot of people follow those types of directions. Um, yeah. Does anybody grow calorie equate to quality? Um, but you also have to remember, I wanted to say something about McDonald's. McDonald's is really successful because McDonald's isn't actually in the fast food business. They are a fast food place, but they create terrible food that's super unhealthy, but everybody eats it. And I'll tell you why. It's because in reality, McDonald's is a real estate company. Because if you look at the locations of every McDonald's, they're on an intersection of a major – they're on the corner of a major intersection where they have the most amount of traffic. If you look – It's also the sugar, salt, and fat. Listings. There's physically addictive properties of McDonald's. I, I got to push back big it's time on this because, <laughs> yeah, they do sell real estate, and that's where they make their money. But people are coming in for the burgers. It's not the acme of excellence to say that location, location, location – is really important but i do like the i do i do think that's an important factor to consider is the dis- every everything uh as part of the interaction um nexus you know anything about the distribution model the logistics it's a logistics it's i would say that you're right it's a logistics move that is so much of a force multiplier that it kind of it, it, it takes a good product or a great product to being exponentially accepted right yeah even if it's not that great of a product you know what i mean that's, that's like that's light. what we deal with too is uh, i think too one of the reasons why i like this because as home growers as people who've cultivated our own medicine we know what quality is right and there's a lot of people out there who don't know what quality is because the places that they shop for cannabis don't have the relationships with the with the top tier farmers so many people are coming out of the black market where or illicit market where you're buying it off the street from a guy who says yeah i got some bud where it's like they don't have the palate where like if you look at the prohibition model with alcohol the same thing happened people weren't buying thousand dollar dollar bottles of wine you had to wait until people started to figure out okay these wine producers have a specific terroir and they produce a specific grape that makes it better and more valuable than the two buck chuck in central california that they produce tons of grapes for way less money and it's way less quality and once the cannabis model gets more opened up and more people have experiences trying the low grade, the high grade, and everything in between, they'll decide, okay, I have this much budget. Here's where I can spend my dollars. Can I spend 50 an eighth? No. Can I buy 25 an eighth? Fine. Some people are going to be able to spend 100 an eighth. And there will be higher than that. I guarantee it. In 10 years, there will be luxury, deluxe, five-year cure, whatever. There's going to be a fancy high-end market for cannabis too. And, and I'll keep saying that until I go blue in the face. Yeah. I mean, you right? Yeah. You need access. And with access comes, once you start getting access, then you start getting choices. And when you have choices, you can vote with your dollar. And unfortunately for most people still, they don't have choices. They can only get what is available, right? And there's and still even, a lot of first time. Dispensaries, it's no, it's no different. It's just if most of the people who go to dispensaries are over 35 years old. And why do they go to dispensaries? It's because they don't know anybody who has weed. That's why they go to the dispensaries. And so they buy what's on the shelf. Um, you know, I spent 30, 30 something years buying weed from people, not always growing my own weed. And it's what you, what that guy had. It didn't matter what he called it or what he said. There was one or two choices, maybe. And you bought what they had. And that was it. Yeah, the now, green stuff or the brown you stuff. You wanted to get high. 
Right. Oh, yeah. And sometimes you'd be disappointed and you'd be looking at the bag and be like, do I really want to buy? I need it. Like, I need to buy right. it. Yeah. yeah. Right. I wanted to add a couple of things into this sort of uh, the commercial interest thing. You're talking about needing to cater to the clientele. And I, I really agree with the point about consistency. Um, there's a couple other big concerns that commercial growers face that I think are really fundamentally different for home growers. Um, they want fast flowering varieties in a commercial setting, a reliable flowering timeline, um, and they want heavy producers um, that are often resistant to, to pathogens um, because yeah, they want to. Must, because if, if like for what I do, like if I, if I create uh, a plant and it has a massive cola structure, yeah. even with all of the uh the technology that we have to keep BPD in range, there are some varieties that are just not resistant to powdery mildew that get too yep. dense, too yep. big, and you can't deal with it. So you have to look at it and say, hey, I'm going to have to have a, a, a certain amount of loss that is acceptable to come out of this particular facility. And you need to make sure that when you're, uh, you know, when you're harvesting and you're trimming and getting everything ready, that that everything's looked at and that the people yeah. who are working for you know what to look for. They understand what to look for. And if there's any problems, they can put that aside and say, Hey, I think that we might have a problem with this plant. You know, that's super, super important. I think, and uh, I, that's not anything that will ever go past me and what I do because I, I have a reputation and I want to be the best, right? And I want to be able to produce the best medicine for people. And I do not want my name associated with a product that is subpar. Right. I don't think you're the typical commercial producer, Brandon. I'm thinking more like, you know, canopy. Um, right. I'm, I'm thinking about large scale production for the, the adult rec market. Yep. Um, and I, I think their priorities are more Larger. in terms of consistent volume um, yeah. on time. And it's all about margin. All I about know, mechanical harvesting. I think any time so that there's like a, a profit margin, like shareholders, and the, the only real goal is to increase profitability, right. I think that quality will always suffer because you have to understand when it comes to, for me, like I want the best people working for me. I want people who are super – I want people who like – look, I'm going to harvest on Wednesday, and I will probably break down in fucking tears. I mean I, it's going to be super emotional for me because I've worked so hard for this to get to the point where I am. But I want people working for me to feel the same way. You know, I want people that are super passionate, that love this for what it is, and that, you know, understand that this can really help. I mean, it's just, oh man, it's incredible. It's yeah, really hopefully there's a space for, for growers like you in the commercial market. Um, I just don't, I, I think most of the commercial market, when we're thinking about it, if from a macroeconomic perspective, is going to be run primarily with profit motive. Yeah, but okay. if they're, if they're, they're smart, asking. but you can still pull a profit doing what Brandon. Hold on, if you, if they want profit, <laughs> you got to think long term, and the people that are producing quality are going to last. The other ones, a whole bunch of those massive producers, are already out of business because they um 
the way they ran stuff, you know? I think it'll um, go to that Bud Light model, though, where, like, we'll get big producers right. that know what the hell they're there doing that produce certain... the low-dollar, low-quality that people are like, hey, you know, I'm fine with the $1 pre-roll. Uh, yeah. You know what, uh, you're right. They'll have a big market and no profit, but then there's the <laughs> microbreweries that make much money, too. Yeah. It's just like, it's just like if I go to the, the, the store and I can buy some Bud Light or I could buy, you know, some uh, a nice bottle of wine. It's it's you know, it's gotta there. It'll open access. Got to open right, up and when you look at that from a macroeconomic perspective, people choice. You'll realize that that those major brewers carry a huge proportion of, of the actual market. Um, so we started this conversation thinking about the differences between sort of the, the home grow market and the commercial market in terms of strains that would appeal to each of those different groups. And so I think you're the type of commercial grower, Brandon, that we would sort of think more along the lines of the priorities of the home growers in terms of choosing strains. And those smaller uh, sort of craft producers will have, um, you know, a lot of the similar sort of um, uh, goals in their business in turn, or in the, the strains that they cultivate. Um, well, but I think a lot of the commercial space is going to be, you know, fast growing, fast flowering. Um, I expect at some point in the next decade, uh, most commercial growers in that space will be growing auto flowers. Absolutely. And um, I, I think it's all about speed, quantity, and consistency. Yep. It will be. I mean, because that's the ideal. Those are the ideal um, aspects of any crop plant, right? This is not cannabis specific. We're talking about like just commercially. The, yeah. Yeah. Um, not necessarily why... for artisanal uses of it, though. Right. Um, so, yeah. This is why it brings us back to community, though, right? Yeah. If, yep. you, if you know, like, Hey, these guys are going to have a great product. It's going to be it's going to be an experience, right? You're not just going to go pick up some flour. Like you're going to have an experience. That's you know, that's what you try to create. I think that's a great point because like even with uh food or flavored intoxicants like like look at a, a McDonald's cheeseburger that you can get for a dollar versus like a Wagyu steak that's like $50 per ounce. And the difference in levels of quality, they're both just a, a meat that you can eat at the end of the day, but like people have trained their palates to understand and identify the difference between them and be fine paying that higher amount because it's like, oh, it's a special occasion. I'm gonna go out and get this fancy meal. And uh, with like tobacco, there's really fancy expensive cigars, which is like a smokable flavored intoxicant that we see the same thing. You can get like a black and mild Swisher at the gas station for less than a buck maybe. And if you were to, you know, get like the top, top end, you can spend over a thousand depending on where you're going. So it, um... yeah, you know, it's, I, it, those are luxury markets. I mean, there's luxury markets for a lot of things. I hope that, that good quality homegrown cannabis doesn't become just a luxury better. product on that side right. of it too, right? That I, I hope it still is more available. And that, that's what homegrow sort of does. Um, it, it makes it possible for, anybody to produce their own top quality cannabis. yes you know so. it's it's very fitting that we are talking about both ecology and the economics because the eco and both those words come from the same greek root and how like those are very similar 
Like, for example, Jack, you say that there's a place where I can get Wagyu and there's a place where I can go get McDonald's cheeseburger. Those both exist to the same system, the same ecosystem. And so they're like, I mean, not to get too, I mean, I think the metaphor breaks down at some point, sure. But like both of those exist in the same system. They do different things and have different, um, I guess you could say, factors that allow them to exist uh, easier or less easy in different places biogeographically, I guess, across the globe, right? Um, and a, lot, a big part of that, just as it is with like growing plants um, or managing an ecosystem is uh, resources and resource management, which is why I think Brandon's point about the logistical nature of McDonald's and really any other really large uh, entity has to, con has to continually consider that so much. Um, just as the complexity of life became more complex and we had to have tissues and vascularization and that sort of a thing, immune systems. So I've been wanting to jump in for a while here, <laughs> but, but you guys were saying such interesting things. But so I'm going to back it up a little bit. And um, commercially, I think really what's important, especially for craft, other than the points that Brandon brought up, and obviously just to give a shit what you're doing, is more to brand yourselves. And shout out to your boy, Roy Boy and Chet, who brought up earlier about education. So those are the two things we need to combat as far as when we were bringing up how the, the big giant players in the game are going to be basically pumping out the upper mids for everybody for the lowest, lowest price. Um, as, as a cannabis connoisseur or as a craft cannabis grower, it's our responsibility to, for one, put a good product on the market, number one. Number two, we need to educate people on what is good cannabis because there's going to be a lot of people entering the market for their first time. There's going to be a lot of people like that. So they're going to be like that clueless undercover cop that says one cannabis, please. You know what I mean? They have no idea what the hell they're even doing. So to them, weed is weed is weed is weed. That's just weed. So education. So every one of us on the panel, I don't need to tell you, but this is more for the audience. You know, just educate people on no, no, that you what you had back then might have been a bad experience for you or might have been a good experience. But this is all new, you know, look into it learn about cannabinoids, learn about terpenes, and, and, and know that if you have um, one bad experience, it doesn't mean all weed is bad, and vice versa. If you have one good experience, it doesn't mean the next time you go and get a different strain that it's going to affect you the same way. It's not. So um, we have to educate people. That's the biggest, the biggest hurdle to get over because it's new for a lot of people. But then secondly, as, as like I was kind of saying earlier, it's, it's all about the grower. Yep. And so for a commercial person, what that means and what, what our strategy is, and I, you know, here I am spitting, running off with what our strategies are, but we're marketing ourselves. So, you know, we started with the packaging. I went over that before. That way, at least our logo is on our product because otherwise that doesn't even happen. It doesn't even, I mean, they won't even, they've just put it in, in their own dispensary packaging or whatever they want to do. So, I mean, we just went with a basic design for now, just so we, our logo is on it. Um, but of course, we're looking at different products, you know, glass, tinted glass, things like that. We're, we're really looking at uh, art, maybe looking to get some artists to work on, you know, making artwork for each strain, uh, nailing down what strains we're going to for sure be growing for a while and, and get all that done and make it special. You know, to have a jar, I think it was Lost Leaf, I heard him say it, or, or actually it was Eagle, Be Eagle Gardens said it to Lost Leaf <laughs> when he was interviewing him on his show. 
uh, he said, you know, it's really nice because Lost Leaf has a glass uh, tinted uh, little, I think it's an eighth jar. And um, it has it has its own design. And for I think he's got two or three strings designed up so far. But it's really nice is that that packaging isn't going to get thrown in the trash. That's something somebody's going to keep as a stash jar. You know what I mean? So you're setting yourself apart from everybody else. It's making because you maybe spent, definitely spent more on the packaging. It's going to be perceived as a higher value just because you you spent so much on the packaging, and it's more likely that they're not going to. And it's more and it's more likely it's not going to go in, in a landfill. So right. I mean that's just kind of the way we're looking at it. So you're doing you're absolutely right. Branding is a huge huge part of uh, marketing and making sure that people know that this is where this is coming from and that this is consistent, like uh, Dr. MJ was talking about and making sure you just have an overall good product um i know that you're uh you have another show to do so if you before want you go to... spartan i want to say one thing sorry to cut you off brandon but uh the american one said it earlier and i think it got sort of overlooked but i have to agree with them you yourself are a sustainable competitive advantage for mitt and canico and every employee who cares as much as you or brandon who is talking about how he's about to cry because he's so passionate about this harvest and how excited he is their competitive advantages that's why if you ask alexa who made the alexa or echo dot device it says a team of engineers at amazon they don't tell you john smith because then you'll go and headhunt john smith and hire him for your robotics company they're smart about trying to like hide their people that are creating intellectual property and i think uh holding on to good workers at your workplace like spartan groans if you have a spartan groan they're gonna make your grow a whole lot fucking better and oh, that yeah. is just as important as the label that they put on the packaging. Because I hear people up in Canada where we're seeing one of the largest legalizations happening right now. I know people that have been uh, working up there that they hate their job. They're cannabis lovers. They grow their home grow. But they're like dreading going to work. They're like, man, fuck this. Fuck this big worker. Uh, even though they're growing cannabis, we disagree with all the practices. It's just a paycheck. And if they're there not giving a fuck, it's going to come through in the product. So the people like the F6 caregivers or previous caregivers that are crushing it at Canco or uh, Majestic Craft ca Cannabis and places like that are just going to be better because you guys all actually do care and it shows. So I wanted to say that before you go and you could uh, do your sign off Spartan. I, and I appreciate that, Jack, because that's super true. I mean, it's all about the passion. I've, I, I've ran into some people here that I was like, dude, I don't know how we're going to make this work, but we're going to get you on the team as soon as, we're, as soon as we start harvesting investment income. Like, we have to because not only are you, do I feel the passion, but I don't want you to go work for somebody else, you know? Like, you're fucking awesome, and I need you on my team. <laughs> that's how I feel, you know? When I find somebody that's like, dude, this is, I need this person. I need this person working for me. Hey, shout out to Miss Nudie Grows, by the way, just to uh, throw that in there. She's she's a, a good uh, a good one that kept a job during this trying time. Yeah, I mean, it showed uh, even as an essential worker up in Canada, being a cannabis producer, that they had a lot of layoffs at her particular place. And she was one of the people that actually ended up being kept. So if you do love your job and you hustle and you work your ass off, even during pandemic type times, you can have some job security. And I'll throw it back over to Spartan. Okay, um, I'm just going to not shout anybody out. I wanted to, well, shout everybody out on the panel. I'm going to shout all you guys out. And I shout out Joda, especially, I, or Hoda, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm high, dude. That GG4 got me. But uh, <laughs> it was awesome talking to you. And I, I hope you come back, man, because oh, I really love the organic talk, man. I love it. And um, 
I wanted to address something in chat. Uh, I'm gonna take my time to address this. Tricom said in chat, you're correct Spartan, and so your company sells to big corporate, which all businesses do. Then they change all practices, unfortunately. Well, that's not gonna happen, and if it does, I won't be there anymore. It's privately owned right now, so I don't think there's a danger of that. Um, we all are pretty much on the same page. I mean, I talk to the owner, or, uh, yeah, the owner and the COO on a daily basis. They're working right next to me. They're in there working with me. They're not sitting at a desk, so. I don't think it's going to go that way, but uh, if I did, I wouldn't be working there. So girls love everybody out there. Girls love you guys on the panel. I got to go get on another show. <laughs> See you Grow love Spartan. Grow or love, bro. Peace yourself. Absolutely. Great talking with you. Peace out, Spartan. All right. I guess it's that time. I think that we should all sign off. Um, I'm just going to go right back through the list like I did earlier. Um, Jack Greenstock, you're up. So you can find me on Instagram as well as Cannabuzz at Jack Greenstock. I'm on Twitter at Jack underscore Greenstock. And I want to give a big shout out to Hota Herb today because uh, I've you may not remember me, but I've been in your live on Instagram oh, a couple times. Yeah. And I love chatting back and forth and just hanging out with you in the morning, smoking a joint and chit-chatting. It's, it's been great to talk to you a little bit longer form and actually be able to physically voice my words as opposed to type them in the comments. So that. thanks I for coming, man. It was awesome. Great week, everybody awesome uh and yeah i appreciate uh, everybody that uh all the panel members all the listeners um matthew you're up i also want to echo uh spartan's points and as well i really enjoyed you being on hota and i enjoyed your um your perspectives i uh think we have a lot in common and so i also hope that you come back Oh, yes. Yes. It's been a great fun. And I'm a, I'm a huge fan of yours. Um, I love the information you're putting out there. Uh, it's fantastic. And I love talking about bugs and IPM. And, and But I, I just like the science aspect and the information that you're spreading. It's fantastic. So I appreciate that. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. And so uh, with no better of a compliment, I'll introduce other people. If you want to see the comments, uh, the sort of content that I make that a lot of it we talked about here, omnivory of of thrips, what kind of pests you get, how do you mitigate them, and also what are their strengths and weaknesses and where do they come from? So I always love talking about it. It's on my YouTube channel, Xenthanol, and you can also find it at Instagram uh, at Sync Angel. Awesome. All right. So next we have Coco for CocoForCannabis.com. It's a hey. wealth of information on the home grow using cocoa and nutrient salts go ahead <laughs> well I, I feel that might be a little bit of a backhanded compliment there leading in we cover all aspects of growing cannabis indoors <laughs> um i i just published our big uh, grow light guide that's uh, certainly suitable for all media um and yeah you know one of the things that, that we really try to do at cocoa for cannabis is community i, I thought that it was an interesting topic i didn't really have much of a chance to at the top to talk about the, the community question, but that's really what we've been trying to do is to, to cultivate a community along with our plants and to really think about, um, you know, how to, how to cultivate that spirit of collaboration with shared values, shared relationships. Um, so if you're looking for a community, um, you know, come on over to Coco Preanimus. We have a live chat room. I saw a bunch of you chatting with Smop Poker. He's there almost every day in our chat room. Um, and I'm really, sort of uh, happy about the, the spirit of collaboration that we got going there. So um, 
It's a pleasure as always with the rest of the panelists. Thanks um, to everybody. Thank you for hosting, Brandon. And uh, thanks to the chat for keeping it interesting. Yeah, thanks, Dr. MJ. Uh, I always, you know, I always like talking to you because you always bring uh, different perspectives. And I also really appreciate the fact that you have a community um, and that's so important. And I really appreciate that. Thank you, Brandon. Yeah, we all bring our own sort of thing to the show, I think. Can can grow. Yeah, what's up? Always a pleasure being on this stage with these panelists. Uh, thank you for uh, to Hota Herb for uh, joining us here. Uh, always fun to have new guests. Uh, today, I feel it was for me anyways it was really all about the chat uh, I was having a good time there chatting with everyone so thank you to everyone who is watching because it's always it's always good to know that we have some type of a, a positive impact on people out there for anyone interested in checking out what I'm doing uh, you can look up can can grow on all my social media Instagram uh, YouTube what have you I just I'll be posting the update. Uh, I just harvested the solo cup Fino hunt run that I've been doing for those who have been following that. And I will be testing a couple of new LEDs, uh, running some numbers and uh, doing full grow runs of those on my channel in the coming weeks. So make sure you check that out. And uh, until next. Awesome. Thanks. Uh, appreciate you for being here. I always like to you know, with all the panel members. You guys are all great. Um, let's go to the American one. Thank you, Brandon, for hosting tonight. You did great. Uh, and shout out to Shane, who couldn't be here. And um, Hoda Herb, it's always good catching your lives. You're always positive and have uh, pertinent information and willing to share. I think that's great. And um, shout out to chat, chat, everyone there. It's been great. It's always great being in the discussion. Thank you guys, and uh, have a great night. Right, Kyle, my boy, predicative breeding. What's up, dude? Hey, thanks for uh, thanks for hosting tonight, Brendan. You did a good job, man. Um, one thing I, I did want to say: uh, you are right about the McDonald's thing. So they somebody at, Ray Kroc went to go do a teaching at a uh, at a school. And they asked he asked everybody what business he was in. They said, "Well, obviously the burger business." He said, "No, real estate." Uh, but that's coming from his mouth. Uh, I just I read that in a book, so I just thought that was interesting that you brought that up. But um, yeah, if anybody wants to check out my work, uh, you know, uh, any social media platform, dedicated being or uh, Kyle Breeder on Facebook. Um, if anybody's looking for genetics, pbreeding.com, and uh, I look forward to see you guys all next week. And hopefully, everyone stays stays safe and healthy. Thanks for being here. Appreciate you. Uh, and last but not least, Hota Herb, uh, my boy. Uh, you know, you use the Bokashi. You're doing uh, the love it. The biodynamic type of system that I like, and I get updates on the daily. So I appreciate yeah. you. Um, yeah, I love it. I love it. It's great. It's a great product. I really, uh, I've enjoyed what it's doing in my garden. I really do. 
thank you so much for having me on. I really, really appreciate uh, getting the opportunity to hang out with all these fantastic growers and chat and mix it up with you all tonight. It was awesome. And I definitely will come back. I appreciate the offer as well. I'm more than happy to come back on. And I just love spreading, you know, good, positive messages and talking with people. And that's why I go live all the time. So you can find me at Hota Herb on Instagram. And eventually, when we start having cannabis events, you'll start finding me again at the uh, cannabis events all over the Massachusetts and uh, New England area. So for now, at Hota Herb on Instagram is the best way to catch me. Thanks again for having me. Awesome. Yeah, big shout to Shane who puts this together for us every week. Um, he is absolutely the man. He's absolutely producing all these different shows, all these different podcasts. He's letting us kind of do our own thing with the uh, Growing My Fellow, fellow Growers podcast. Um, so that way he can focus more on content, uh, on content and getting more information out to all of the, uh, the home growers and all the people who are new to cannabis. So I really appreciate that. I appreciate all the panel members. I love being here. Um, this is like my church, you know, on Sunday, some people will go and do a two hour uh, thing at their church this is this is my church you know i get to learn i get to interact with all, all my people so i appreciate you guys all um if you guys want to find more on my account uh i'm on instagram at rust.brandon and then you can find links to both my company bokashi earthworks and the cultivation facility in oklahoma that i am contracted at um in the bio so thanks again everybody you guys are super awesome i am out of here have a good night Oh, Don't forget to everyone. check out cheaphomegrow.com. There's a new consulting section where you could get professional help from uh, members on the panel. And it, it's going to be expanded and a little bit of a teaser. There may be some more tech-savvy stuff coming uh, here moving forward. But I won't say much more than that. So thank you, everybody, for tuning in. All right. I'll see you guys. Thanks, Jack.